You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and the interview subject that I've got coming up for you, it's John Gallagher. He's from an outfit from the UK called Raven. They've been going for a bloody long time, it's fair to say. They're one of the new wave of British heavy metal originals, although I don't think the band neatly fall underneath that category. It's just a label that the media applied to them back in the day that kind of stuck. I don't think John minds. But the reason for the conversation is to promote the three dates in Australia that the band are playing with Venom Inc. and also Girl School in June. And I'll read out the dates. Thursday the 27th, they're playing here in Brizzy. I will do my absolute best to make it to that one there since I missed my friends in Venom Inc. last time around. Friday the 28th, they're playing at Sydney in the Manning Bar. And finally, Saturday the 29th at the Croxton Band Room in Melbourne. This is a really enjoyable conversation. Certainly I had fun having it, so I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here he is, one of the legendary new wave of British heavy metal originals, Mr. John Gallagher. John, how are you, sir? I am doing great, man. I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I'd love to say I'm doing as well as what you are, but my team just lost by two bloody points against the uh, much maligned Melbourne Storm. But what can I do, mate? I'm not out there playing. I'm just a... Uh, I'm just a paltry supporter at the end of the day. And all you, all you can myself. do is curse, scream, and shout. Yep. And, and remember that you're cursed because you actually support a team. Therefore, you are doomed to be disappointed occasionally. <laughs> Mate, John, what do we do about that? Because the thing is, it's in your blood to support certain teams. And when they lose, you feel oh, terrible, like as if you know something really bad has happened. But at the end of the day, nothing bad has happened. Your team has just lost a yep. game. You'll, you'll hate me. I, I long ago decided I was not going to waste any more Saturday afternoons <laughs> looking at shit like that. <laughs> but so you're um. When I watch, when I watch, I don't have a dog in the fight. I just enjoy the game. <laughs> yeah. But mate, you're a northerner. You you followed rugby league before, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've watched some. I mean, it was all you know, football, football here, yeah, soccer, yeah, or football, you know? soccer, yeah, and soccer, of, yeah. of course, uh, supporting Newcastle United, you were doomed. Because no matter how good the players would be or the manager, there would always be some arsehole in charge of the team that would screw them over. Mm. And apparently the same thing is happening right now, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember Newcastle. I, I don't follow the EPL at all, I must confess. But I remember Newcastle were the form team of the 80s and 90s or early 90s at least anyway. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the mighty always fall, though, don't they? And uh, money, moneyed uh, individuals from other it's parts of the money. globe. Yeah, yeah, it's all money these days, very much so. So yeah. it's, uh, But, I mean, the... The, what do they call it now? The Premier League. It, it is. You can basically watch any game, and it, the entertainment factor is so much greater than it used to be because you got the best players in the world playing you. So, oh, absolutely, you do. Yeah, yeah. All right, mate. We better chat about this tour because it is an epic tour, and I've had a really good chat to the guys in. I still call them Venom. I know they go underneath the name Venom Inc. But uh, the guys in Venom. Uh, a couple of years yeah. ago before they came down, mate, and they were really looking forward to the trip when they came down a couple of years ago, and I understood they had a really good show down here uh, in 2017, mate. But you guys are all coming down again, so there's you guys in Raven, Girls' School, and Venom. Mate, that's a hell of a triple bill, man. If you told me 25 years ago that this was a, a lineup that would have been touring Australia ever, I would have called you a liar, <laughs> but here you are. <laughs> See, if you wait long enough, Christmas comes along. There you go. Yeah, there you go, mate. So, what, what it's going to be exciting for you. You've probably been here before, if not in the band as a tourist. But coming down here, mate, you know we love heavy metal and hard rock and just about all other genres of music down here, mate. But you will receive a very positive response when you come down here. So, have you had a lot of feedback from Australian fans over the years? I assume you have. We have. And, of course, I, I get to meet the occasional crazy guy who's over... Uh, at a festival or on some of the, the oh, metal God, yeah. cruises we've done. Mm. And, you know, you just know that these, they're like-minded people. You know, the Australians are what you see, what you get. They're very open, passionate, uh, all kind of audience, you know. Mm. And we've never been, and I've, I've never actually even been as a tourist. So it's, we're, oh, wow. it's, okay. been, it's been a bucket list thing for many years. We've tried to make this happen off and on, like, at least the last 10, 15 years, and it never really came together. But uh, finally, so boom, we, we are really looking forward to it. And, mm. you know, I know there's been people that have been waiting to see us forever, 
and probably despaired of the fact it would never happen. Well, it's happening, mm. and we are on our way. We are coming, and we're going to kick your ass from one end of Australia to the other. I'm sure you will, mate. And you, mate, you sound you sound energetic. If you know what I'm saying, I'm not saying that you shouldn't sound energetic or anything like that. But mate, you sound really enthusiastic about this this tour. So is it a bit like you know you've had three albums out? You've had six albums out. I think I'm right in saying this since oh d- uh, double, double it double it oh but since since uh year 2000 i was going to say you've had quite a few oh, albums yeah, yeah. out since yeah. year 2000 and so you have built up quite a fan base you know that down here and um i'm trying to think the album that i actually it was the first album that i bought hot off the press it was extermination and okay and i thought that was a, a bloody good album but then of course you go back and you find out that you guys are one of the probably the original new wave of british heavy metal band actually I think that's right when I say that. So, well, we had the first we had the first independent uh, metal album out in England, which was Rotten Till You Drop back in 1981. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of other bands out, but I mean, the funny thing about the new wave of British heavy metal is it, it wasn't a club; it was just uh, basically a moment in time where there was a lot of bands spread out over England, you know, over the UK, really who loved this music and wanted to play this music. And the only thing they really had in common was the passion and the energy. Mm. Because, you know, Iron Maiden are nothing like Def Leppard, who are nothing like Raven, who are nothing like Venom, who are nothing like Angel Witch. They were all totally different. And that's what made it really special, Mm. is that there was, uh, you know, so diverse, really, you know. Mm. And we always had our own thing. I mean... We were a three-piece, so that made it different immediately from 99% of all the other bands, so, you know? Yeah, I agree. And the other really notable thing about you, mate, is that you can bloody play the bass. I'm a bassist, and I've, I've long admired your work, I must say, and uh, the YouTube Thank videos you. that I can find. I mean, the other thing, too, is, mate, of course, you're singing, and you, you're a bloody good singer. That's the other thing. I mean, you really built it out. So for I, I host a podcast series, so I intend on releasing this as a uh, podcast episode of That's Okay, and I do talk about a lot of this sort of stuff Truth. with, with the musicians that I talk to. But, mate, it was, was it an intuitive thing for you to get involved with the bass and then be able to sing straight away, or did you really have to work at it like what I do? Uh, pretty intuitive. I mean, when we first, you know, we... we we loved music as kids, right? I mean, we were there with the tennis rackets jumping up and down to Slade and Status Quo and Sweets mm. and what, you know, you had Top of the Pops in England. That was it. And then you discovered the Friday Rock Show. And sometimes there was a show on a Saturday with Alan Freeman that would play all this amazing music. And you, you just suck it all in, you know? There was mm. always stuff in the charts that was kind of good from like the seventies onwards. You'd always it would be part of your DNA, mm. you know, bands like Free and you know Deep Purple and Zeppelin oh, yeah. and yeah. all this stuff would just you know be part of your DNA, be in there. And then we went on holidays, kids to Spain in like seventy one or seventy two, and in the hotel there was a live band, and the guy was playing a Strat. And he had the big coiled cord and he was playing behind his head and he was playing with his teeth. And we were like, whoa. And it was loud and it was heavy. And we were just like, you know, this was like a a game changer. And Mm -hmm. my brother bought a, a Spanish classical guitar and we used to fight over it. I tune it down and we decided we were going to form a band and bugged the hell out of our parents to buy cheap electrics. We had nothing to play them through. We used to go through the garbage and scour off our old radiograms and pull the amps out and you wow. know, try mm-hmm. to figure out where you would put the wires, get lots of electric shocks. And, yeah. and then we'd do crazy things like uh, wash people's cars or deliver newspapers, whatever, to make money so we could uh, you know, buy equipment. And eventually, you know, we ended up playing pubs in Newcastle and then got onto the, uh, the working men club circuit. Mm-hmm. And that's where we learned our trade. We learned how to entertain people mm. and avoid to avoid being beaten up by yep. uh, angry audiences who wanted to hear, you know, they wanted to hear Born to be Wild or they wanted to hear Highway Star or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'd go out there and deliver. Mm. 
I've been in a similar position actually when I played up north here in Queensland, and um, you, you play. I, I'm a, being a like a bassist. I really love funk and disco style bass playing, and so playing in covers bands it gave us an opportunity to play. Um, you know, a lot of that funk and disco, especially the disco classics. Um, you know, car wash and all that sort of stuff, mate. And I've been yelled at before by country audiences that have said, "You you stop playing that shit." We want to hear ACDC, we want to hear Steve Earle, we want to hear all of this sort of stuff. And, mate, they stare you down, don't they? And they look at you sideways and you're not sure. I mean, in this day and age, you know that probably nothing's really going to happen with CCTV everywhere and and people being blocked from clubs, especially if it's a country town like here and it's the only gig in town. In other words, it's the only place that they can drink after after dark. But you do think to yourself, I wonder what it was like in years gone by. And, and you, someone like yourself right now is tried and tested and been around a long time, mate. You just you put that in perspective with comments like that, but you really did have to perform for the audience. And you really oh, did. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the thing is as well is, uh, you know, where we are, we were talking about football and sports before. I mean, you got to imagine how small England is. You move five, ten mile, and it's another world. Yeah. So, yeah. ten mile away from Newcastle is Sunderland, and Sunderland and Newcastle are like deadly rivals. So, we'd play in Newbottle, which is about five, six mile away, and it'd be like, and coming up next, the boys from Newcastle. Boo, boo, boo. Because hmm. they mentioned Newcastle. And, you know, you'd get. They'd bring beer mats up with song requests written yes, on them. Yes, they do that now. Yeah. Quite often, the further south you got, they would have fuck off written on them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't uh, got that so before, but that's It was, that's uh, cool. <laughs> you know, you, you had to prove yourself. It was yeah. basically, and the great thing about the, the Newcastle audiences, which we saw as we started to play around the country, is they were vicious but fair. If you were good, they'd love you. Mm. And they'd be your fans for life. Whereas you went down into London, I mean, our first real foray into London was opening with Iron Maiden, and that was good. Mm-hmm. And then we played with Aussie, and it was as if we were playing okay. to a brick wall. Yeah, nobody, nobody cared. I mean, I was literally jumped over the orchestra pit and was swinging my bass trying to hit people in the front row, and they wouldn't even flinch. But then the next time we played was a couple of years later with. Uh, I think we played with Angel Witch. It was great. Mm. And then we played with Girls School and it was great. So, mm-hmm. you know, things things have changed a little bit since then. That You know, the, the world got a little more, not even smaller. It's just, uh, you know, the, yeah, the, that connected. old attitude yeah. of, you know, like the musicians with their arms folded at the back of the hall standing going, impress me. Yep. Um, how many how many arpeggios can you play per minute? You oh know, God, that, that mob. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of like died off a little bit, and yeah. you know, it, it's more of an emotional. I want to go out and have a good time and and have something connect with me, and that's very much what we're about. We're entertainers. We want to you know put that energy out, get it back, and and keep it going round. And, and unlike a lot of bands of our ilk, I mean, you know, we we jump around we break stuff but it's with a smile on our face you know mm. yeah <laughs> you, you mentioned somebody in there that I, I have been a fan of in the past but i'm not such a big fan of anymore mainly because of the the business dealings that have gone on between him and i won't say who his manager is but we all know who it is but aussie okay and yeah and, you know you've you've played a show with aussie and i did see that on wikipedia but uh i think the band was called blizzard of oz when you played with them yeah if I'm not we mistaken. did four shows it was aussie's first solo tour yeah, and- uh, he heard he heard our single "Don't Need Your Money" on the John Peel show. John mm-hmm. Peel was a DJ who just played new music, didn't matter who it was. So he played our single. Ozzy heard it when he was somewhere and just went, "I want that band. I want that band." So we played Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and the Hammersmith Audion with him, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. You know, Randy Rhodes, Lee Kerslake, Bob Daisley. Bob Daisley. Yeah, I talk about Bob a lot on my podcast series. He's Australian, uh, you probably Bob's, know. Yeah. Bob's a genius, genius lyricist, incredible bass player. What a what a musician! Really, really, very influential. You know, yeah. really did, cool. Did you have? I mean, you you were working oh, when I say working with him, you were playing with him at his peak, really. I think. And did you have a lot to do with Bob? And Le- I know Lee's on his last legs, unfortunately, which I think is a real right now. Shame, yeah. I mean, we didn't know. talk. We didn't talk to him a great deal. We talked him quite a bit at the first show, mm. and. I uh, really didn't 
talked to Ozzy on the last show. Ozzy and Sharon had me sat at a table, and Sharon said, Ozzy wants a hand in your future. And my jaw okay. hit the floor. Yeah. And we talked for a minute, and then Sharon's father turned up. Oh, and Don that Arden. Was the, yeah. That was the end of that. <laughs> yeah, much has been so, made of so his... You, you, could, you could maybe say we dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah with the, with the, certainly we've, with the we've stories. We played with Ozzy. I mean, we if, if a, a guy on that tour who was just a kid wandering around was uh, he's Ozzy's minder, and mm. he's he was on all the TV shows and everything. So mm. you know, there's a connection there with Newcastle, and we've we've played a couple of festivals and stuff with him over the years. Mm. But uh, you know, I. I mean, like Black Sabbath's like royalty, you know. Mm, of course, yeah. So there's, there's always that, you know. And those yeah. early Aussie albums are incredible. So yeah. can't take that away, that's for sure. So are yours, though, mate. You know that. And, and I think yours appeal to an entirely different audience, if you don't mind me saying, because I think that I... I'm an old. I'm in my forties, so I remember Black Sabbath when hardly anybody even. It's not that people didn't know who they were, but people didn't give them credit. Is probably the way to describe it. Especially the Dio fronted Sabbath. God, I love Mob Rules. It's one of my favourite albums of all time. But you, you guys sort of fall into that category, don't you? Where you've been hugely influential. Yet if you ask a garden variety rock or metal fan, they may never have heard of you. And that's not your fault, of course. That's just the way mainstream media works. But do, do you get a lot of feedback from people at gigs online, that sort of thing, saying, mate, thank you for doing what you've done, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be a musician? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a time where we would look at each other and go, are we invisible? What, yeah, what's going yeah. on here? And, you know, the wheel turns. And right now, we're, we're very much on an uptick uh, as of like the last three or four Good. years, really. Right. Yeah. It, it's, and especially since, you know, we got Mike Heller in playing drums with us, things have uh, really just accelerated beyond all uh, understanding. It's incredible. But we, we'll get that, especially when we play festivals and younger bands will come up and just see we were very influential i mean it it's happened we played in 83 we played a festival in germany mm. uh at a at a largish club there was us merciful fate and i think a band called trance and we played there and i went out into the parking lot with my red bass and sat down and was talking to all the kids mm-hmm. the kids in the parking lot it was uh the guys from creator the guys from coroner the guys from rage the guys from uh, oh, the Doro, Doro Pesh. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like every German band, they were there. And they'd either just started or they decided to form a band after that show. Yes. And I've had yeah. them all I've had them all tell me this. And that, that's pretty incredible, you know? It's not it, just it, them, it, though. It's the guys in Anthrax and Metallica that you've helped out, too. And I know this is an old story, but it's worth retelling for people that don't know. I mean, you guys gave them a start, effectively, really, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, we took Metallica out on their first tour. Yeah, no one knew, no one knew who the hell they were, but we heard them and said, "Yeah, these guys are great. Let's do it." Because uh, what's the point of having a bad opening act? It makes you know you want to make yeah. an evening of it. You want to, you want to have a trajectory. You want to start from somewhere and go somewhere. You know, <laughs> and same thing with Anthrax. I mean, Anthrax were bugging us from the first time we arrived in America. Scott was at you know all the shows and. Uh, great guys, great band, and you know we were lucky enough to get to open for Metallica a few years ago back in Brazil, mm-hmm. which you know seventy thousand people. That was yeah, unbelievable, cool. and they were more than gracious, and you know said thank you to us to the during the show, which we didn't find out till afterwards because you know we left early. You don't want to be stuck behind seventy thousand oh, people no. leaving yeah. the arena when you got a show the next night, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we've run it on trucks at a couple of festivals, and you know they've never changed. They're still great guys, and they're great bands. And mm. there's very much that camaraderie between the the most of the bands actually now these days. I mean, I'll, I'll run into Death Angel and Mark is always like you know I was always such a huge Raven fan, and you know that we we definitely you know got a lot of people 
fired up <laughs> and we, uh, we continue to do so i mean now we go play and it's like three generations of fans yeah and we're going to mexico and south america and i swear when you play there there's nobody over 25 it's crazy it is like and that they know, central and, south and they know everything yeah. they know yeah. everything and it's, it's awesome you know the 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 music is alive it, it stays alive and it's more alive now than ever even though it's kind of driven underground Sometimes mm. that's the best place for it, you know. Hey, mate, I'll just do a time check because I've got plenty more questions I'd like to ask you, but have we got to wrap things up now or have we got some more time? No, to... you're the last man and we can go as long as you want. Okay, okay sweet. All right. Um, you're bang on point with what you're saying. and I've noticed that uptick in uh, fandom from so-called emerging nations in the Central and South Americas and also in Asia. Now, I hope somebody, your manager or whoever it might be, has put you onto the Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia and Malaysia. You know, the, the, the president of Indonesia is a massive heavy metal fan. He's worn. Oh, wow. He's, he's been photographed wearing Napalm Death t-shirts, if you can believe it. This is, <laughs> this is the future of heavy metal, man, and bands like you guys. I mean, I honestly think, with the greatest of respect I say this, the only thing that's going to stop you guys is age. Yeah, you know I mean, and we are, you know, we're fit and more energetic and enjoying it more than we ever have. So why not? We just played China for the first time. There you go. There you Back go. In April, yeah. we played Japan and got contacted. Hey, would you guys? I'm like, absolutely. Let's do it. Hmm. And we we suffered the food, but the gigs were great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hear it's a bit like that there. Um, yeah, I, we, my wife's half Filipino, so we spend a lot of time in, in, I suppose it's called Southeast Asia. And, God, whenever I go there the first couple of days, I get so sick. And yeah, but, I just, uh, yeah. And when someone just dumps a bucket full of chicken legs in front of you, it's like, nah, we don't do this. We're, we're a little more genteel where we come from. We like to remove the bones, sorry. <laughs> oh, not my wife. She eats this thing called balot, which is chicken embryo inside of an egg and it makes me gag on sight i can't even smell it it's so disgusting but they to, love it to each to each their own but uh no we, <laughs> we we had a mini riot and said we want western food or else so somehow okay. they found pizza and indian and we were good <laughs> we're good to go indeed yeah now, let me ask you this i don't know do you, do you live in the uk at the moment or have you Going across the Atlantic. I'm in the UK at the moment, but I live in the States. That's... I'm in there with, I'm kind of on the glorified couch too. I'm in with my brother in Florida. And when I'm not there, I'm here with my girlfriend in Newcastle. There you go. Here we are. Okay. So, how did you cope initially with the move? I mean, this is well before the internet and well before there was a lot of the cultural exchanges that are occurring courtesy of the internet. But moving from Newcastle to New York City, it's a pretty big bloody leap. So, how did you guys cope when you first did that? It was done gradually. I mean, we we played the first shows in 82, which was really just a week. We came over for about two, three months in 83. And then the whole thing was like, we're going to get off neat records. We're going to come to America and we're going to tour our horses off until we get a major deal and a major agency deal. And that's what we did. Hmm. We came over early 84, and we toured, 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 recorded, 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 and by the end of the year, we had our deal with Atlantic. Uh, talk about uh, be careful what you wish for. We got that, and we had a deal with uh, Premier Talent, who were the best agents in America, but unfortunately not the best agent for us. So we had to live through those couple of mistakes over the next few years. And we were basically in America. And we were there all 85, mm. we were there all 86, we were there all 87. We didn't get to play Europe again until 89, mm. which was crazy. What was, uh, the, what was the visa situation like back then? I've always wanted to ask somebody that because I know it's, it's tightened up these days, but as someone from the UK or Australia, could you just go over there and stay over there for a couple of years and there was no dramas or there were a lot more hoops? No, yeah, it was, uh, we had working visas which were vouched for by, you know, initially the... Yeah, I get the it, you're employed or whatever the term might yeah, be. Yeah, whatever they call it, a B1 or a B2 or what have you. We hmm. had that and then eventually I married an American girl and got my green card from that, so... There that you go, okay. Basically, that, but it was, uh, you know, that just kind of happened down the line. We were just getting visas every year, <clears throat> and you know it, it worked out. Like you say, it is 
a lot more difficult now for sure hmm. but yeah. uh th- that's kind of how that worked out it was uh very it just happened that we happened to be over there hmm. and it, it worked out for us you know it really did and then when the grunge thing came and everything was tough <laughs> we played more in europe and then we played more in japan and then you know the wheels started turning getting better again we we had a great headline tour in 97 in Europe with uh, Hammerfall and Tank opening up for us. What a great wow. bill that was. Yeah, awesome. And things were looking great for the next record. And then my brother had a building fall on top of him in 2001. And yeah. kind of we all had to like uh, sit on our hands for about three or four years while we learned how to walk again. Hmm. Yeah, I did read so about did. that. He, yeah, he, he proved them all. Proved them all wrong. They were going to cut his legs off. He wouldn't oh, let them. Yeah, good on him. And he just, uh, you know, he's a force of nature, very much so. Mm. You've mentioned a, a lot of things in there that I've actually got on my list here to talk to you about. But the first one I'm going to talk to you about because it's the last thing we talked about there was your brother. And uh, yeah, so I, I understand he had a horrendous accident. And uh, you know, kudos to him for recovering with that and for insisting that he keep his health intact the way he did. But Mate, my, my actual question for you is, how have yourself and your brother managed to stay in a band and not murder each other? Because you know, it's, well, look at Oasis, you know, I mean, it's the, the brother thing is fraught with danger. Yeah, but it's it's really fraught with danger if you're idiots. That, that, that really helps. <laughs> so, you're not wrong. <laughs> and, 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 and if you're from Manchester, it's even worse. <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> but, yeah. uh, we, we, like any other siblings, we used to fight and beat the crap out of each other until we started playing music, and then we just decided to fight and beat the crap out of the guitars and the basses. Mm. So they bear the scars, not us. Yeah, and It's worked enough. out. Uh, I mean, we're very different people, but we have a, a shared passion, which is the music, very much so, and we very much see eye to eye on, you know, where, where we go and how we're going to you know, come up with the music and what have you, and we all put a different angle into it, and it, mm. it's what makes it what it is. Is he with you in the States, or is he back home? He's back in the States. Mm. Yeah, he's in Florida. Okay. Oh, you mentioned it before, but, sorry, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so, I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm here mm. till ooh, tail end of the month, 25th, and then I jump back over. We get all our house in order as far as equipment, and then we're flying down to Mexico. On the oh, that'll be great shows, be yeah. So we got yeah, Latin America, South America. It's like twelve dates. Then we pop over to Belgium for the Grass Pop Festival, nice. And then we're over to see you guys. You are. So we'll be match. We shall be match fit, as it were. We'll be all good to go. <laughs> Do you guys drink these days, or have you laid off the booze? I never did. I, I'm go. that. I'm the one guy from that Newcastle guy. never yeah. drunk. I'm that guy. Uh, my brother drank more than enough to make up for me over the years. <laughs> <laughs> What's the old saying in Newcastle about walking he, he the dog? Yeah. He behaves himself these days, but uh, back in the day, he, he drank more than his fair share. I bet. I bet. Well, being from Newcastle, mate, it's you're, you're like you're, you're, you're equivalent to us here in Australia, mate. You know, I mean, it's just what yeah, you do, it's, isn't it? It's you kind, of a, kind of a religion, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I honestly think the stomach in the beer that affects people's hair. I see all these guys that I used to hang out with and go to shows with that had hair down to their arse, and now they're all bald. <laughs> bald. <laughs> but I'm not. So there you well, go. Well, there you go, mate. Yeah, you, 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 you cottoned onto that one early. How have you stayed away from the booze, though? Seriously, I mean, as a serious question, how have you, as a heavy metal artist, I mean, it's one of the things that heavy metal fans do love doing, drinking booze and listening to the music, and I've got to confess, so do I. So how have you it avoided never, it? It never appealed to me. It ne- I didn't like the taste. I, I really didn't. It's wow. like, you know, I, I used to see people go out four or five nights a week and drink eight or ten pints. I couldn't drink eight pints of anything. Hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, you know, somebody, I think it was my brother had this, you, you go... You go out to go to the town. You go to the town to go to the pub. You go to the pub 
to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a mission, a mission statement, you know. Yeah. And it was like, oh God, no, yeah, no. I so guys, I could yeah. have more than a good enough time watching everyone else make assholes out of out of themselves, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and then the same would happen. We'd come to America and we'd be at an after show party. And some guy, I really loved your show, man. Do you want some coke? And I'd hold up oh, my shit. glass and go, No, I've got seven up. I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, Not yeah, gotcha. Question. Yeah, the drug uh, thing I've never understood. It's never been a thing that I've done, but uh, the recreational drug thing I'm talking about, not pharmaceuticals. Or, no, of course. No, know. I mean, and we never indulged in any of that at all. That mm. had no appeal. Um, you know, some guy wants to smoke a joint or whatever, hey, yeah, knock whatever. yourself out. Right? Yeah. It's just never been, never been our thing. And, of course, being in that situation, we'd see so many people who – through their careers away or turned into complete idiots from that. So it was very much a cautionary tale and had absolutely no interest in that. And of course people thought we were, oh, we're crazy. You're out of your minds. You must be doing drugs all the time. Like, no, we're not. Mm. We're very normal, almost boring people off stage. Yeah. But once we're on stage, which is where it's supposed to happen, that, that then we're like, uh, you know, where the ferrets somebody's just put down your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> that you are. I've seen the I, videos. I've seen yeah. so many bands who were exactly the opposite. On stage, they'd be boring as hell because they were barely conscious enough to play. Yeah. And then off stage, they'd be throwing TVs out of windows and going crazy. And to me, it was always the wrong way around. That's so true. You want to be throwing TVs out of windows on stage. <laughs> Hey, the other thing you mentioned before was was grunge. So my, my question was actually going to be about the nineties, nineties, because you were one of the few bands that actually survived the nineties intact. You know, you had three albums released during that decade, which I understand were very well received. But a lot of bands, man, a lot of bands really faltered through that era, and um, they released albums that sort of appealed to what was popular then. You guys never yeah. did that. And and it really hurt a lot of bands. I've got to say, even Slayer released Diabolus and Musica, which is very different to the other albums in their catalogue. And Metallica, of course, took a complete left-hand turn. I don't know what the hell. People are still debating what they did, including myself. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people and got blog entries dedicated to their change, which it didn't seem to make much sense. But not you guys. You guys and Overkill. I've narrowed it down. And, and Creator, I think. Creator, you guys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'd we'd already been through that in the eighties, where we had, you know, the record company leaning on the producer, leaning on us, leaning on management. You know, when we made the Packers Back album, which was, you know, it's very commercial. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of commerciality in our music. There's a lot of hooks, but when you push it too far one way and then it turns into something else, there has to be that balance between the organization and the chaos and the noise and the melody and the structure and the non-structure it, you know uh, the sim- the simplicity and the, the complicated it, there's a balance in there that that makes it uniquely raven mm. and when it's upset it's something different so we'd already been through that and it was like so music's changed we'd went through when we were younger we went through the punk thing being there, Done that, you know. Did you like that though? Did you? Were you like? I mean, because I've I've got a vinyl copy of Nevermind the Bullocks, and I think it's one of the greatest albums ever recorded. To be honest with you, oh, it's incredible! It's incredible. Did you feel that way too back then? There's a absolutely unique feel. Yeah. Even his vocals, you can hear every word. It's a snarl. There's there's a there's a it's it's an unusual groove. A lot of people cover their songs and they just kind of rev them up and they miss that groove. Exactly. You get it. It's yeah. incredible. So they were they were they were awesome. There was a lot of horrible punk stuff as well. There was a lot of crap. So we liked the energy, but musically, most of it was like, yeah. And then the same thing came in the nineties. All of a sudden, you know, people got fed up with people who were here five mile high and singing baby, baby, baby and doing choreography. <laughs> And then Nirvana comes out. Uh, a friend of mine loaned me the album. I go, this is awesome. You know, this is to the point, in mm. your face. Great. Unusual, mm. unusual little 
chord things, the drummers beating the shit out of the kid. This is great. I loved Soundgarden. I got to see Soundgarden play with uh, Faith No More and oh, yeah. uh, Voivod, and that's when they had their second album out, Louder Than Love. Yep. And my God, I mean, Cornell was like a force of nature. It's incredible. Yeah. And he changed. A couple of years later, he shaved all his hair off and stood still and didn't sing good anymore. Mm. It's like, what the hell? But Alison Chains. Great band, some great songs. Uh, so they, they called it one thing, but to me it was just uh, a bit of a reset button, getting back to the roots. Hmm. I agree. Raw. Yeah, I agree. Raw, yeah. Yeah. It was heavy metal by another name as far as I was concerned, even at the time. And the, the, yeah. the, the aesthetic I couldn't quite understand, which was to your exact point about Chris cutting off his hair and standing fairly still on stage, which is what I think happened, you know. But some of the other yeah, bands. that's that's after. I I, I don't know. I, I got a feeling that there maybe was drugs involved there, and he tried to straighten himself out, and that was part of it. Who the hell knows? Mm. But uh, again, early Pearl Jam, what a band! Great. Of course, yeah. loved it. That first album yeah, is phenomenal. You, you yeah. got a guy doing something creative on bass, which I always love. He's playing a lot of fretless, a lot of eight string, twelve string. Yeah. Excellent. Go for it. Love it. Jeff Ament, wonderful bassist, man. I'd love to have a chat yeah. to him, man. He's he's a bit like you in that he's very inventive. You know, he doesn't sing, of course, but uh, I've I've played I'm played covers as I mentioned, and I've played his stuff many times. And to to your point about him using different basses, he also used different effects, and he's very hard to mimic. He's very yeah, hard to mimic. Absolutely, that's I, and that's really what it's all about. It's not about you know you you know this after you played a while, everyone wants to be the best, wants to be the best, you know. You can never be the best. Mm. There's always going to be somebody better, technically. There's always going to be somebody who can play something more complicated, faster and cleaner. So it's like, well, how do I become more me? Mm. So you, you look at, uh, it, it, it's more of a taste thing. You know, choice of notes, choice of sounds. Yeah. How, how are you going to do stuff? And I'm in a situation where I've got a lot of real estate to cover. So... You know, I'm going to go with a big, massive, dirty sound because I love it. Mm. I want to sound like a tiger tank coming over the horizon, <laughs> crushing people. I want that. And then I want to hit a button and be clean with chorus. And if it's an eight string, I want to be able to play all those arpeggios and get that stuff coming out, hit ringing harmonics. Mm. Or if I'm playing a solo, I've got my Explorer, I've got my Whammy Ball. I've Your Explorer. Pick up, yeah. guitar pickup. I go apeshit, bang it around. Uh, two octave pitch shifts, uh, ring modulator, looper, whatever, you know. Now, and if try I to create something, and then I'll take pieces. Like the last two, I was doing the Rain Song by Zeppelin, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, that's an open tuned guitar piece. But it's like, well, this, this, you know, if you fool around, you come up with a You'll way to it. do it on bass. I've mm -hmm. got Tori Amos piano pieces I've learned on bass to play on bass more of an exercise than anything else a challenge which which but, song is uh, that i love tori amos which is your cornflake uh, girl or which one's that cloud one? on my tongue okay yep yep gotcha yeah she's a magnificent it's artist very overlooked takes a lot days. of takes a lot of crazy two-handed stuff to pull it off but it's okay. again it's just a challenge i'd learned it on guitar which was a challenge and then well maybe i can do it on bass hmm. so you know I, i've Doing a few things like that, and you'll pick pieces where you know, like Moon River, the old tune. I can figure that out. You'll, mm. You know, usually it's just for my own entertainment. But you always, when you challenge and come up with something like that, there's always a, a nugget or something you can use, even in the band. You know, I do. Something yeah, along. I get it. I get what you're saying. But you know, the thing about your playing, you've always reminded me of Jack Bruce. You know, you've always reminded oh, me of... That's a, nice, that's a nice compliment, I'll tell you that. Yeah, you've always reminded me of heavy, heavy Metal's answer to Jack Bruce. So who were you influenced by? Like, who is it? was it the typical McCartney thing that a lot of bass players from the 70s were inspired by? Or, or well, was before, it... I, before I even played, a lot of the bass players would sink into my head that I heard on the radio. So Andy Fraser from Free mm, was an absolute awesome. genius. Magnificent, yeah. So still, you know, and you can tell they're great because you still listen to them and you still dissect and enjoy it, you know. Mm. Uh, obviously, John Entwistle. Uh, uh, John Wetton. I got to see Wetton play with Uriah Heep. 
Unfortunately, I didn't get to see uh, Gary Thane, who I loved. Yeah, an incredible player. He played these melodic lines high on the bass while everyone else was pounding out the riff. That's He'd it. be basically soloing. Mm-hmm. Uh, J- Jimmy Lee from Slade, what a player! Oh, I mean, absolutely. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, and he was the guy. I mean, feedback, distortion, yeah, you know that that was that was where I was coming from, and we were very lucky in Newcastle because a lot of bands played there, but it was a small hall. It was either the City Hall or the Mayfair, so you were right in front, two thousand capacity. You know, I got to see UFO for the first time in '76. Oh my God! And as far as Pete Way was rocking yeah. out, you got Pete Way jumping around. It's like, yeah. What, I mean, what about Pete Way? I mean, he must have actually. That's a really good point because I'm a big Pete Way fan, and I love his book. By the way, if you if you haven't read that yet, please do read that. But I you, have to, yeah. Yeah. Well, your your stage manner. I'm not saying that you've copied him at all, but you 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 seem like as though you've actually watched UFO and thought this is what a bass player should do. I mean, it's even harder for you because you're the main vocalist, you're the key vocalist in Raven, but was he was he a significant influence for you? Yeah, I mean anyone that moved, we loved. So mm. you saw UFO and you saw Pete Way jumping around saying, like, Yeah, that, that I'm into that. Angus Young jumping around. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> uh, Sammy Hagar when he first came. Yeah, he had a trampoline jumped over the stacks first note. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. There yeah. you go. Yeah, it's I'm um, into that. Yeah, so I'm I love Sammy that. Hagar. I think so. He's that was that so was underrated. our whole thing. Was I mean, we turned from a, a bunch of guys who used to air guitar, play tennis rackets, and jump around to music to putting instruments and playing music and doing the same thing. So it was very much always been our thing to be running around like crazy, and. As soon as I saw Kate Bush on TV oh with a headset microphone, so I'm like, yeah. that would be me. Just that That's what I want. Hmm. If it ever gets the opportunity for that, and it took a couple of years, but as soon as I got a headset mic, I never went back because hmm. I hate standing still. With a headset mic, I can move around. I can connect with the audience. I can emote. I can, I can move to where the sound's better away from where the sound's worse as well, which can, you know, save your ears or save your life mm-hmm. every now and again. And yeah. it's, it's just a huge, it's a, you know, people think, uh, some people, oh, why is it that we're not? It's gimmicky. It's not gimmicky. It's, it's a, there's actual reasons for it, you know, so. Mm. You mentioned Kate there. Is, is there a particular album or cut of hers that, you you really enjoy because I think she's a bit like Tori. Well, I, I I loved her from the the first notes of Wuthering Heights, which was insane. But of course, I've always got I've always got less gimmicky. She went on and came down. But I think my favourite album is The Dreaming. Beautiful. It's absolutely yeah. unique. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's got a great song about Australia there. <laughs> it does indeed. But, uh, I think that's why yeah, I like that one. It's yeah. unique, and the 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 instrumentation. I mean, the, the bass players on there are unbelievable. Her um, Hard Weber, and you've got, uh, I can't remember the guy who was with her for many years who plays on it, and John Giblin's on stuff. Yep. The Fretless, I mean, that was my introduction to a lot of Fretless bass. Of course, the bomb that went off called Jaguar Pastorius, I kind of missed until later on. Holy moly, but when now you look you're back, talking. You can yeah. see how his influence permeated just about everybody, you know, it, it really. He started hearing fretless bass on so much stuff, and that was because of him, pretty much. So. Mm. Well, he's the iconoclast as far as bass players are concerned. I mean, there's really nobody else that was more innovative than him. I mean, I, I love Stanley Clark and Victor Wooten and uh, Larry Graham. Is pr- Larry Graham's probably personally my favourite bass player of all time. Um, but I can't deny Jarko's influence on just about anybody who wanted to pick up a bass. I think every bass player that's wanted to take the bass seriously and performed in front of people at some stage has stumbled over Jarko's playing and thought, holy shit, this guy. Yeah. And um, it was yeah, so I sad mean, the, what the, happened. The knowledge, yeah. the knowledge was just staggering. His but, you know, harmonic knowledge was just off the charts. And the thing is, as well, he was a crowd pleaser and an entertainer. Mm. You watch those solos where he's got the loop going, he's getting people clapping along, and then at the end when he jumps off the stacks, I mean, that's not a jazzer. No. <laughs> he's, you know, he was very uh, unabashedly uh, outrageous. Whenever, very any, much so. 
whenever anybody asks me who's the musician that 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 had a lot left to give before they they departed this mortal coil, I always say Jarka because he he left us far too young. And yeah. I, I feel as though he was just at the cusp of discovering his true genius. He was very naturally gifted, to your exact point, about understanding theory and just getting everything that was to do with the technical aspect mm-hmm. of bass. But I feel as though he... he um, it, it might be ridiculous to say this to people who know he's playing, but he was at the cusp of really understanding how to, his true power, if you like, as yeah, a bassist. absolutely. And, I mean, it was a, he, he was basically... You know, before he went off the rails, he he formed a band around the bass, which is weird because no one really done that. Mm-hmm. And he was he was a band leader. He was he was doing that. But when you heard him as a side man, I mean, he, he contributes without overshadowing, like the Joni Mitchell stuff. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. He plays on the first Aldi Miola solo album. Mm-hmm. He's incredible on that. Uh, so you yeah. know it, man. You, he, you've got it down. He's uh, yeah. after the fact, you know, after the fact, uh, a great influence as far as uh, being creative. <clears throat> Absolutely. Hey, you had a you had a friendship with Lemmy as well, didn't you? Well, we ran into Lemmy a lot. Uh, Lemmy got a little weird, and I think the last ten years of his life, hmm. uh, we played uh, two shows on the Iron Fist tour. In '82, I believe it was uh, the photographs on the front of the Crash Bang Wallop EP are from the show, the first show we played mm-hmm. with them, which was actually the day Randy Rhodes died. Funnily enough. Oh wow! Okay. Because uh, we heard that just before we went on stage, which was rather sobering. Wasn't great. No. Uh, and they they were they were insane. I mean, they were completely mortal drunk before they went on stage. So I'm saying, you want to drink? Yeah. And he hands his glass, <laughs> and it was like rocket fuel or oh something. My God. Like, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ! Um, then we played with them. We were doing the Kill 'Em All tour with Metallica opening for us, mm-hmm. and the tours ran into each other. We did two shows, and of course, Motorhead headlined in uh, Buffalo and Rochester, and upstate new york and that's my famous lemmy story where all day he was reading a dirty joke book and had us on the bus and <laughs> was just laughing his ass off telling us <laughs> jokes really funny and then at the end of the night the dressing room was inside the kitchen of this huge club and there was a walk-in freezer so at the end of the night we go to do the idiot check where you go to see if nothing's left behind sure. yeah i call it the same thing uh, yeah and then the door opens, and Lemmy's there with a box of pita bread. Like, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, you got to steal something. And then runs out with a box of pita bread. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, I know. It's um, when you And say- then we ran into him. Um, Jeez, uh, we were playing with Udo, and again, we bumped in, and they oh, yeah. headlined a show in Berlin. And we did a festival before that, actually, yeah. And he, all he did was he was in a trailer with his own personal one-on band and never talked to anybody. And what had happened previous to that was someone had thrown a sharpened coin or something at him when they were playing Bulgaria or Romania, mm-hmm. and it hit him in the arm, and he got blood poisoning and was very sick. Oh, right, okay. And f- from that period he would set up his microphone about 20 foot off the front of the stage. He was all the way back by stacks. He really, you know, he really got shook from that. Okay. And I, th- mm. I think that kind of like calmed him down a little bit. He wasn't as outwardly Boisterous. friendly. He would, be just, yeah. he would just look and go, oh, not you fucking Lord again. And like walk away. That would be a it. Mm. So, and the last time I saw him, I talked to Mickey and Phil mm. who are, Awesome guys and always friendly, but Lemmy champion. was yeah, yeah. Lemmy was uh, not not to be seen. He played the show like a trooper, but they basically had two guys carry him off at the end. Mm. And that was a couple of years before he died. He was still, you know, he was in a bad way right then. They actually got, but uh, he's again a, a, an icon, a unique approach to everything. He played the guitar like he was the bass, like he was playing a guitar. Yeah, he wasn't a bassist. Just, yeah, he was a guitarist, nah, really, wasn't he? He was a guitarist, know. absolutely. Yeah. But uh, a, a unique approach, definitely. There's a famous story here on the Gold Coast where where they actually uh, were having beer thrown at them or something. Gold Coast audiences back then were very rough, let me tell you. Like a surf community. You know what surf communities can be right. like? And um, 
they were throwing shit at them thinking it was funny and they walked off at the uh, playroom, Gold Coast Playroom here, down at Palm Beach. And, uh, yeah, I never thought they left the stage for anybody, but there is at least one stage that they left, which was the playroom at the Gold Coast. So so there you go. That that happened in about 91 or 92. So not later in their career, but, you know, getting on a little bit where I think he wasn't prepared to put up with anybody's shit, to your point there. No. Probably around about that. Obviously, that gets – I mean, we, we've, we've dealt with that stuff. We had the punks in the early days spitting at us and – yeah. We had famously on the Kill 'em All for One tour, there was a gig in Oklahoma City, which was almost identical to the scene in the Blues Brothers, where they play the country and western bar with a chicken wire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had the same audience, but no chicken wire. So Metallica go on, and these guys are throwing beer bottles and lighters and beer mats and everything at them and Metallica are like freaking out and turning our back to the crowd just trying to get through it and of course we'd seen this all before so we go on and start throwing it back mm-hmm. and walk out and jump on the tables and kick their beers over like the usual Newcastle approach of you want to fight who's first yeah that's the way you got to be take every one of your bastards on you know mm. and they love that and they continue to throw more stuff mm. <laughs> Yeah, you got to bring strange. a cricket bat with you, but they've got to. Yeah, you've got you got to bring the bat with cricket bat with you, but yeah, if you you've yeah. got to sort of what they give, you've got to sort of give back almost twice as much. Otherwise, I mean, I've never had a situation. I've only played a no, few BMS got... balls where they've sort of been a bit like that, but they've thrown color bombs. I don't know whether you've seen them before, but they're whether you've had this happen to you before, but they look like I don't know what they look like. They look like marbles, but they're full of. They're soft. Oh, it's like a, comp- from a paint from a paint gun. Paint gun, maybe. Yeah, my music yeah. man bass was my neck anyway. Was this light coloured neck, like a maple neck? So it was this had all this green and blue shit all over it. But I just oh, thought, it was, yeah, it was just battle wounds, man. It was just fun. I thought, but I didn't get hurt, so I didn't care. Yeah, we've had uh, we we played with Wasp and Slayer, and the Slayer fans, of course, famously hate everybody. So we go on. Some shows would be throwing like nine volt batteries at you. They bring and nine volt had, batteries we had to this shows song, the band. We had nice. this, the, the tour was for Life's a Bitch, and we were playing the song Overload, and it has like a gap about like 40 seconds in hmm. where it just go down, and then guitar fill. We just go down and stop, throw the guitars down, climb over the barrier, stand on the barrier, and I go, All right, who's first? <laughs> and they'd look like are you out of your fucking mind and they're no who's first she says you either stop throwing this shit or you come over here and I'll beat your fucking living shit out you want to do it because I had the microphone see mm. I could communicate right there and they'd back off every yeah. time they'd you showed them who's, who was boss yeah they showed that we weren't going to put up with that shit yeah and um, you know that that's one of those things so we'd, we'd had that stuff like that happen all I mean, the first time we played uh, a big show in San Francisco was at the the Kabuki with uh, Anthrax, I believe, and uh, Exodus. Mm-hmm. And the crowd were insane. And they'd get up to stage dive. And I'd have some guys stand on stage looking at me, and we'd just, I'd just go, whoa, we'd stop playing. I'm like, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> and you look at me nonplussed. I go, this is our stage. Get the fuck off now before I beat the shit out of you. Yeah. yeah. And then the people are, oh, 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 they get all upset at us. It's like, no, you earn the right to get up there, dude. You yeah. don't just walk on there and spoil somebody's show. I'm and with you. We, we've yeah, famously yeah. turned around and hit people over the head with guitars, knocked them off the stage. You just get off. You don't belong. Get off. I'm with you, I'm with you about that because a lot of these dickhead punters, they, they become like, um, they get, uh, what's the word for it? So they go up once, and then they they get encouraged and oh, they yeah. go up there again, and then they get start. They do things like get closer, and eventually they knock someone's guitar cable out, the power cable yeah. out, with the guitar cord out, whatever it might be, and it ruins the show for everybody. You see that in hardcore shows, you know, hardcore oh, from New York. Famously, I, I remember seeing Anthrax back in the day, and there was like literally yeah. 150 people on stage, and this the show stopped. It was impossible to play. Hmm. It's like, at what point does this stop being fun and stop being stupid? We played a show a few years back in Reno, Nevada, and 
the, the show was a disaster because of the way they had the lights. They, they they just built the place. They had two inch thick shag carpet. My brother tripped and fell into the drums and destroyed them. Oh, wow. <laughs> Put it all together. So we're we're all kind of mad. We're, we're playing. This guy gets on stage, and he's uh, getting his friend to take photos, selfies with us in the background. Yeah, 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 great. Then he gets on stage, dances a bit, and then jumps off. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. And then at the end, he gets up and he starts dancing and pushing my brother around. And my brother like, don't mm. you fucking push me. And the guy like, whoa, and like pushes Mark. Wrong move. Guitar down. It turns into a wrestling fight. Okay. I kick the guy. The guy falls off the stage. It's like a six-foot stage. He lands on his back. He looks like a crushed bug on the floor. <laughs> and after after the show, this guy comes up and goes straight at my burgers. Man, that wasn't cool. You could have killed me. And my brother puts his arm around him and goes, don't worry, son, it's all part of the show. Good on him. That's a great way to react to that, isn't it? Because you diffuse the situation, don't you? Oh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't stop the fact that the guy was an absolute idiot. But th- there is a faction, yeah. and it's been going on forever, who, who go to heavy metal shows and I, I believe they're probably utterly tone deaf. All they hear is, <laughs> they hear the yeah. noise, and they want to have a fight. You know, it's the mosh pit. They want to have a fight. Mm. Take, you know, I remember years ago talking to this kid, so how was the Pantera show? Oh, man, it was incredible. There was this dude in the pit, and he was like 400 pounds, and he was hitting people. And oh, God, yeah. I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, what about the show? What do you mean? Uh, there was a band up there playing music. What about that? Oh, well, they were all right. But let me tell you about the pit again. It's like, you need to go play American football or rugby and mm-hmm. keep the hell away from music. Exactly. Because yep. you're not you're not adding anything to the equation. You're just a meathead, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, disrespectful so assholes. Jump around, yeah. headbang, have fun. But as far as hitting people and hurting people, I went there at my shows. Hell no. Mm. Yeah. Hell no. No, I'm with you on that one there. I've never understood it. And I came up through the through I probably caught the tail end where metal shows were very violent places and you really had to be careful because if you were up the front near near the stage and there was a pit forming, someone would basically try to gang tackle you from the back and you could end up underneath a pile of bodies. And it was actually yeah. quite dangerous back in the nineties, late eighties and early well, the nineties is my era, so I shouldn't say the late eighties, but the nineties. So I remember even being at a rocket from the Crip show. Believe it or not. Yeah, that's it... what I was going to say. There'd be a band that had, oh. like, no no connection whatsoever <laughs> to hardcore or metal. You're or so rock. right, yeah. And some stupid band like Juliana Hatfields 3 or whatever, and you saw <laughs> a mosh pit going, I'd say, are you kidding me? No, that's what happened you, to you me. Guys, yeah. You guys need to join a wrestling club and get some oil and oil each other up and go... Go make love somewhere else, please. <laughs> Look, I'll tell you something. If I if I hadn't have played hooker as a rugby player back in the 90s, a guy, I was in the rocket from the crypt, I was up the front, and a guy must have lined me up, and he hit me right between where the, uh, like, just above the bum, I, can't, I don't know what the technical term is, but, you know, back, back of the spine, right above right. the bum, and he basically cut me in half, and... I woke up the next morning and I had the big bruise across my back and everything else, and I thought this fuckwit just lined me up because he thought it was going to be funny to see if I would be injured, really. And this is what shows were like back then. And to your exact point, Rocket from the Crypt are an awesome band and I love them dearly, but they're not exactly a band that inspires serious moshing or or, no. or that sort of slam dancing. No. It was just I mean, a fuckwit what, being an what's idiot. What's next? We're going to have uh, mosh pits at Bob Dylan or Fleetwood Mark or something. I mean, oh, come on, it's dumb. Was... And, and it's it's you know it's it's like you know when they have these silent discos. Have you heard of these silent discos? My daughter does. Everyone it. wears my, headphones. Yeah, my five year old daughter does thing. it. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, they too, should yeah. have they should have silent mosh pits and <laughs> let them let them kill each other elsewhere, somewhere else. Go for it. Yeah. Mate, I better let you go. We're almost at the hour mark, and it's been a, it's been a wonderful conversation with the legend of heavy metal. Forget about the new album tag, mate. You you are an inspiration. To well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it, and yeah. uh, hope to see you when we get over there. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'd love to catch up with you. I'm going to try to catch up with Tony and Jeff from Venom 
um, and uh, have a beer with them because I didn't get to see their bloody show last time. But if I can, uh, I know you don't drink now, obviously, mate, but if I can share a soda water with you, that'd be Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Let's yeah. do that. I've really enjoyed this chat, mate. Thanks so much for giving me so much of your time. It's really cool. You got it, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, brother. No worries. Cheers, Andrew. Take care, man. Catch you, mate. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview subject was John Gallagher from the UK outfit Raven. Thanks so much for listening.